Take your Bibles with me this morning and open them, if you would, to Luke chapter 8. We are out of chapter 7 and on to chapter 8 at the speed of light. Verse 1 is where we begin. While you are turning there, I want to reiterate to you, because it is important what Brian had already mentioned in the prayer time, VBS is this week. Please, oh please, be in prayer for us. It begins tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and continues through Thursday. So please be in prayer for these kids that will be here and the workers that will be here and that God would uh, even reach some of the parents that will be dropping their kids off. We're going to attempt this year to engage them specifically. So be in prayer for salvations this week. Uh, And I also want to let you know if you want to serve but cannot due to work or other factors, you can come back tonight at 6.30 and help us decorate uh, the building for VBS this week to get it ready for all the kids. So uh, chalk that down in your mind. Come join us and laugh with us and decorate and, and we'll have a good time. I also want to mention to you, if you have a kid going or are just simply interested in Falls Creek, Brian will explain this a little bit better later, but there will also be an information meeting tonight at 7.30. So I want to invite you back for that as well so you can learn about where you're sending your kids and where the church is sending our kids. And Brian will answer any and all questions you could possibly have. So write them down, make them hard, and uh, pepper him tonight with those. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I've shared with you before, and I'm sharing with you again now, a little bit off the cuff here from my notes, that sometimes when you study a passage, you are so moved by it throughout the week, and you've You've been so touched by God's Spirit and you've spent so much time studying it and meditating on it and thinking upon it that it speaks so profoundly to you that you get up to share it and you kind of have sort of a communication block. You don't know how to convey what God has spent a week conveying to you. And there's a little bit of difficulty of that when you, when you preach such passages and, and I am definitely there this morning. This is a, a passage that I am moved by and it's a text that I have longed to share this morning and I've been excited and I've been eager and as I came to my office this morning and sat down and and reread through my notes and reread through this passage and prayed I kept thinking I'm not communicating Lord what I think should be communicated I'm not making sense like I want to make sense I'm not stressing how vitally important this passage is, like I want the people to know. And so today, as should be every week, but today in particular, I am keenly aware of how much I'm relying upon God's Spirit to move within our hearts today, to help us to listen, to help us to understand, and to help us to see the importance of such a text as this one is today. Because not only did it touch my heart throughout the week, but it's addressing a subject that I am incredibly passionate about. And I think we should be incredibly passionate about. Today, we look at Christ teaching about the nature of evangelism. And not just the nature of evangelism, but even the response to the gospel. How do people respond to the gospel message? How do people take it in? How do people listen to it? 
And in fact, it's not just the nature of evangelism, which, by the way, we'll notice, I'll just say it right at the beginning, it's not just that we are casting the gospel as far and wide as possible, and it's not just how people respond to the gospel, but what we find today is a text that is incredibly relevant for today, as relevant as it has ever been, because it describes people's hearts here in the room today. You will find your hearts towards the gospel in this parable this morning. It's the parable of the sower and the parable of the seed being cast upon the soil. And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, your eyes will be open to the truth of your own heart towards Christ today. Denver is fresh on my heart and my mind because we've been back just now over a week. And we shared the gospel there with people who were apathetic towards it. Didn't care about it, really. And we talked about, as a group, how back in Oklahoma and back in Weatherford, it's a different kind of animal that we're trying to engage and wrestle with. We, we evangelize different kinds, a different kind of people because the people in Oklahoma know the elements of the gospel. They've heard the name of Jesus. They've probably attended church before in their life. They think they're Christians, and in yet reality, they're not. And that's what we find in the passage today. People who hear and people who respond to the gospel message, but when it comes down to it, they are not good soil. They're not believing in Christ. And so it's an important passage, not just so we can learn the nature of evangelism to, to, of, of evangelism to spread the gospel. It's not just an important passage so that we know why and how the world responds to the gospel. It's an important passage because just maybe today our own eyes would be open to our own hearts and our own condition before Christ and our own need for the gospel. Let's look in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Maybe the passage of the text will speak for itself. Luke reports, and he says in verse 1, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, the twelve disciples. Verse 2, And also some women were with him who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuz, Herod's household manager, someone of prominence, and Susanna and many others who provided for Jesus and the disciples out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathered, in verse 4, and people from town after town came to Jesus, He said to them in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he exhorted the people, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. 
the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for those, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. We begin with a group that has had an encounter with Jesus where the gospel and the word and the things that Christ is teaching about the kingdom of God have actually taken root in their heart. In verses 1 through 3, we find a group of people, the disciples and and the women and many others, as described in verse 3, who have been captivated by Christ. And the characteristic here is that they're captivated and they're following Him because they're captivated. It communicates devotion and sacrifice and a willingness to uh, put aside maybe their own desires and resources and time and effort to follow after Jesus and provide for him and and uh, listen to him teach and even help him minister the kingdom of God. But in verse four, another crowd comes into the scene. And they're a crowd that's not particularly following Jesus, but perhaps they're interested. They're interested enough to come out and listen to him. And as is the custom and character of Christ, when a group gathers, he teaches. And he does so with this group. He's teaching them in a parable. This is his heart. If you look back in verse 1, Luke reports that he's actually intending to do this as he goes from place to place. He's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. He's not just exhorting people about the things of God. He's not just proclaiming. He's showing them. He's bringing the good news of the kingdom to them. Through miracles and wonders and signs and intellect and wisdom that they may even look into his face and see the good news in front of them. So this is the heart of our Lord. This is the heart that Christ has for humanity. Whenever a crowd gathers, he wants them to know. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to hear. He has this ever-present desire to proclaim the things of God. And so he takes advantage and he shares a common day parable with these people that if they would only listen would make complete sense to them. The unfortunate news is, however, no matter how broadly the seed of the gospel is spread, the reality is there are people who are unwilling to receive it. Isn't that the great tragedy of life? The rampant rejection of the gospel? The rampant rejection of Jesus? 
I mean, here we have, and here the disciples has, have, and, and here Christ is proclaiming salvation. He's proclaiming eternity. He's proclaiming forgiveness and pardon and the benefits of walking with God. He's proclaiming the, the difference between going to heaven and going to hell, and these people won't have it. There will always be people who won't have it. Always be people who won't listen. It makes no sense to us who are born again, does it? It makes no sense that somebody would reject listening to the benefits of the gospel, the benefits of walking with Christ. It makes no sense to our hearts, and yet the people of the world and the people who's described in this parable we will quickly find out, have other things vying for their attention, have other things vying for their hearts so that they don't have time to listen to the gospel. They don't have the desperate sense that's needed to listen to the gospel. They're distracted people. And church is not for lack of God making the gospel readily available, is it? It's not for lack of God casting the seed to the world. It's that people are distracted. In fact, God even commands us, doesn't He, to cast seed and search for good soil? Don't care. Don't, it doesn't matter where it lands. It doesn't matter who you think they are or how you think they're going to respond. You cast the seed of the gospel and maybe it will land in good soil. God has that intention. God has that desire. And yet, unfortunately, the response of the world to the gospel message is rejection. More often than not. If you look into verse 10, as Jesus is explaining this parable to the disciples, He addresses them. And he identifies there's a distinction between you and the crowd I just talked to. He says to them, to you, specifically, you guys, you chosen ones, you who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Notice the word given there because it's an important word. God has gifted you with the ability to know. It's not something, and let's just take a note here, the things that are proclaimed in the gospel message are not something that can be researched. They're not something that can be studied and deduced. They're something that have to be divinely revealed. God has to break through the heart of an individual so that they can be given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Humanity does not just earn this right. They don't merit this right. These are things revealed from heaven to be received by faith through the hearing of the Word of God, Romans chapter 10. And what is it that they've been given to know? They've been given the knowledge to know the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Those things about God which cannot be naturally deduced, the, meaning general revelation, re Revelation from creation is not going to help you know these mysteries. These are the things of the heart of God. The purpose of God. The plan of God. The person of God. These are the gospel things. This is the news that Jesus is the Son of God and He has come in the flesh to die on the cross 
for the sins of the world. Those are the things that creation is not going to reveal to you. Those are things that human logic isn't even going to reveal to you. Those are things that have to be divinely revealed to you by God. And Jesus says to these disciples, it has been given to you to know the plan of God to save sinners. And these guys are tasked with sharing that message for the rest of their lives to anybody who will listen. Such is true of every disciple of Christ. This gift given to these disciples is meant to be given and shared with anybody and everybody who will listen. I had intended to share some statistics with you this morning about the unchurched people of America. Then I decided not. Now I come to this point, I'm deciding I'm going to. These guys are tasked with giving this message, this secret. It's a secret that is proclaimed openly. It's perhaps meant to be the worst kept secret. People are to know about it. And we are meant to take this gift. If God has saved us and given us understanding of the gospel, if it has sunk into our hearts, we are also meant to share it. Let me just tell you a few things about America alone. A survey conducted by Lifeway Research Group says 7 out of 10 people agree there's an ultimate plan for their life. Something bigger than themselves. And 6 out of 10 of those people say that they think it's very important for them to find out what that plan is. Yet 43% say they never think about heaven or hell. It's not even on their radar. However, in that group of people, and I want you to listen to this, as we are tasked with proclaiming this, the secret things of God, the gospel message, 51% of unchurched people surveyed, people who readily admit that they do not go to church anytime, 51% say that a personal invitation from a friend would be effective in getting them to attend a worship service if invited. 51% said if a friend invited me to church, I would go. 47% of people surveyed said I would freely and openly talk and engage in conversation about the gospel. 47% of people who won't go to church say I'm willing to talk about the gospel. 31% of those people say, I would listen to someone tell me about the gospel, even though I may not engage in conversation with them. I would be more than happy to listen to them. Only 11% said they would change the subject. Now, here's the tragedy 35% of people surveyed, only 35% say anyone has ever in their life explained the gospel to them. We have the secrets of the kingdom of God. We have the knowledge of the gospel and we are to cast the seed overwhelmingly. If you look at the church to population ratio in our country, in Oklahoma alone, there's one church for every 2,100 people. That means Trinity Baptist Church is responsible to take the gospel to 2,100 people in our state, primarily in Weatherford. And 51% of them would say, I'm 
willing to be invited by a friend. 47% are willing to say, I'd engage in a conversation about the gospel. 31% would say, I'm willing to even listen to the gospel. And yet 35% would probably say, no one's ever sat down and shared with me personally one-on-one. And yet we have this news. We have this gift. And verse 10 is given to us to know the secrets of the kingdom of God and to cast the seed of the gospel However, what we also learn in verse 10 is that the same God who gives the knowledge of the gospel is the same God who withholds the knowledge of the gospel. Jesus says in verse 10, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, this crowd, for others, they are in parables. They're cloaked. These truths are openly hidden. So that, he says, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You know what that means? God is not going to force anybody to receive the gospel message. It's effectual calling. He will call people and they will believe. But he will not force or trick people into believing and what we learn from this passage is that those who are unwilling to hear will not hear the parable will cloak the truth of the kingdom of god and those who are unwilling to see will not see the parable will cloak the truth of the kingdom of god why will they not hear why are they unwilling why will they not see why are they unwilling to see that's what the rest of the parable is saying to us this common everyday parable which would have made some common logical sense is yet at the same time that one obstacle that prevents somebody from hearing the truth because their hearts are distracted. Distraction, church, is the great enemy to the seed of the gospel. The heart that is consumed with other things is the heart that is not good soil the gospel to take root in find it interesting how this parable about farming is still so contrasting to actual practice of farming a farmer does not cast his seed like this parable says a farmer is careful and methodical about where he places his seed only so that it'll land in the good soil i don't want to waste it But here we have a God who says the seed, verse 11, is the word of God. That's where the parable hinges upon. The seed is the word of God, the gospel of God, and it is meant to be spread everywhere. Not a seedling of it is to be saved. Casted in abundance. But no, that's the nature of evangelism. But no, verses 12 through 15, the different responses that are out there. The reason why people reject, the reason why people won't listen The reason why they can hear, but not understand, and see, but not see. These disciples, and and it's the desire of God for this secret to be told openly and in public, it's being presented right in front of people all the time. It was presented right in front of people in Denver. And yet seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear. It's because hearts can be distracted. So let us take note and take caution this morning in this passage. Which heart is our heart? Let us heed the warning of this text. 
to have the good heart and not the bad hearts described here. Verse 12, the first one we encounter is the heart that is like the path. Verse 12, Jesus says, the ones along the path, referring to, he's explaining this parable above now, the ones along the path are those who have heard. And you'll notice in all four of these, they have heard the Word of God. They have heard the Gospel. But something prevents them. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These are the hearts that are hard. That are beaten down. Like a well-worn path. And you can see the imagery here with me, can't you? When the seed of the gospel is cast upon such hard hearts towards God and sin and forgiveness and heaven and hell, it bounces instead of sticking and landing. And quickly we learn from Jesus' explanation here, the devil comes and snatches it away before it can be worked down into the heart or the conscience of an individual. This tells us that we have a very active, singular enemy. There's a spiritual realm to this life. A spiritual realm to evangelism and sharing the gospel. And how tragic is it that the children of God are less active than the enemy of God when it comes to gospel matters. We have an active, singular enemy, verse 12, who comes and takes away the Word from their hearts. If you go back up to the original parable, Jesus says that seed is even trampled underfoot in verse 5. It's treated casually and the birds devour it. The devil devours that seed so that someone may not believe. J.C. Ryle says this about this enemy of ours. He says that malicious spirit the devil, is unwearied in his efforts to do us harm. And nowhere, perhaps, is the devil so active as in a congregation of gospel hearers. Nowhere does he labor so hard to stop the progress of that which is good, preventing men and women from being saved. From him come wandering thoughts and roving imaginations. Listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. And people wonder where such things come from. And then they marvel how it is that they find sermons so dull and remember them so badly. It is because we have an active enemy. And let me just warn you, O church, when the Word of God is opened and distractions abound among us, these distractions are no minor hindrances. They're things of life and death. And they're distractions that have eternal consequences on them. For you can be like the people in verse 12 and hear the Word of God spoken over you and yet distractions through the enemy come and snatch it away. You have here, by God's gracious hand, we have here the profound freedom and ability to have the Word of God so easily and readily proclaimed to our hearts and our ears any moment we want. And we have an active enemy who is willing to distract you with sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves so that you will not hear it. Verse 13. 
How tragic is it that people can attend church faithfully for decades, have the Word of God open before them, expounded before them, and be so ignorant in the things of God? Our own lives prove verse 12 to be true. Our own understanding of the Gospel prove verse 12 to be true. But it goes further than that. Notice what Jesus says. The devil comes and look at his activity. He comes and he takes away the Word, the Gospel, from their what? Their hearts. The devil is incredibly content with you having head knowledge about Christ so long as it doesn't enter your heart. The devil is incredibly content with you knowing a lot of stuff about Jesus and about the Bible so long as it does not change your soul. Jonathan Edwards said of the devil in one of his writings, he said, the devil has perfect theology. He knows God because he's been in his presence. And he would be content with us having the same so long as that theology does not change our hearts and our lives and our thoughts about Christ. This enemy of ours has so many people confused and tricked that they think just because they know a thing or two about the gospel or a thing or two about Christ that they're saved. In reality, he has snatched it from their hearts. Their lives are unchanged. They are dead, unregenerate people. Their hard hearts do not know the tender forgiveness of Jesus. I tell you again, the importance of this is stated in verse 12. The devil takes it away from hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And I'll say it again. These distractions we wrestle with in our own minds and our own hearts when it comes to Christian things, they're not minor hindrances. They're matters of life and death. They're matters of heaven and hell, of eternity. They have eternal importance because if we allow the devil to come and take away the word from our hearts, distract us, you need to understand it is so that you may not believe and be saved. It has been my prayer this week that the Holy Spirit would convict us of such things. And let me just say real quickly, if you find yourself convicted of this, the glorious truth is that we have a very patient, forgiving, loving Savior. And you don't have to let the devil take away the seed of the gospel from your heart anymore. You can run to Christ today and be saved. If only you would listen to the gospel and let it sink deeply and quickly into your heart before this evil enemy comes to devour it. Let's move on. Verse 13, the second heart we find is the heart that is like the rocks. It may not be completely hard like that of the path, but it's still full of rubble. And it's frightening because these people also think they are saved. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the Word, again, they've, they've heard it, they receive it with joy. 
So not only do they hear it, they respond to it in some fashion. And they have some, some sort of emotion about it, some sort of joy with it. They, they like at least what they hear, and they listen to it for a time. And I fear many people fall into this category. You have this surface level of emotion, of emotional response to the gospel, and yet it has never sunk down into their souls. They do not trust in Jesus. They do not care about the Christian faith influencing their life. How many people do we know who have made an emotional response to the message of Jesus? And yet, there has never been any change in their heart. Too many, I fear, too many sit in our churches week after week after week who have some sort of emotional attachment to the gospel. They like what they hear and they're willing to listen to it, but it, I'm not willing to let it influence and dictate my whole life. Jesus says this is proved by the fact that they have no root. And they believe for a while, and yet in time of testing, they fall away. In times of suffering for their faith, in times of persecution for their faith, they quickly give it up. The, the medieval church struggled with this greatly under the reign of people like Bloody Mary and the murdering atrocities of the Catholic church. When people would flee from the church and renounce Christ, and then that persecution lifted and they wanted to come back to church. The church struggled with this because they would come to passages like this and they would say, in times of testing, you, you fell away. We all have moments of weakness. The apostle Peter fell away. Every one of the disciples fell away when Christ was on the cross. They ran, didn't they? They denied, didn't they? But when the consistent pattern of the life is that I do not want to stand up for Christ against the ways of the world, I'm too afraid of what the world may think or say or do, then we have a, a problem. Jesus says this scorching fire of temptation and persecution stifles the gospel in the hearts of these people. But it's even more than that. I think this time of testing can even be personal testing when you are called to make a choice, obedience to God or living for myself. And when you're forced to make that choice of denying self, and following Christ or living for self and denying the things of Scripture, people face that temptation and they face that test and more often than not, don't they choose self over God? We're prone to. I regret a conversation that I had a few days ago, not because of anything I said, but because of the nature of the conversation with an individual who was mad because God says homosexuality isn't right and mad because God says you can't be addicted to this or that or mad because God has rules and standards and they thought he was unfair and unjust and unloving and unforgiving and and what if a person lived their whole life completely obedient to the Bible and yet they were homosexual but God let them into heaven then that was their question and I fear that such questioning reveals that they're unwilling to follow the Bible over the dictations of society. And that when push comes to shove, maybe, just maybe, their hearts are more like rocky soil than good soil. And when push comes to shove, just maybe they're going to choose what the world says over what God says. In times of testing, people 
fall away. This has always been the tragedy of the church. And again, I want to stress, I'm talking consistency here, falling away. We all struggle with sin. We all stumble. None of us are perfect. But the heart that is consistently choosing other things over God, consistently denying Christ when faced with hardships, is the heart that is in trouble. Number three, the heart that is like the thorns in verse 14. And I fear perhaps in our specific context, this is the most common heart that we encounter. This is the heart that is infested with thorns. Verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. This is the distracted heart that's distracted by the things of the world. And they don't have room for the gospel because the cares of this world and the cares of their own life are taking up all the space in their heart. You realize, don't you, you only have room for so much in your heart. And more often than not, the room that Christ wants to take up and the room that the world wants to take up cannot coexist. We notice these people also hear, don't they? But the key is what Jesus says in verse 14. It's as they go on their way. As they live their life, the cares of this world distract them from the Gospel and from Jesus and from surrendering to Him. They run with the world as someone would warn against. They surround themselves and see if this sounds familiar. They surround themselves with immoral music, watching immoral movies, surrounded by immoral friends, and then they wonder why they have immoral desires. As I have battled with my own sins over the years, I have learned by God's grace there is significance of what you dump into your mind and your heart. And people are so immersed in the things of the world that they have no room for the gospel. So when it's proclaimed, they may listen, but it's choked out rather quickly, right? I think we all have a burden if we're believers of just how much influence society has over humanity rather than the Word of God. How often do our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our college students listen to the things of the world over the things of God? How often do we do that ourselves? Get our information and our logic and our reasoning and our understanding and our ethics and our worldview and all of those things, how often do we get them from the world and society and culture, our political view? How often do we have them informed by the things of the world instead of the things of God? Our hearts are prone to be infested with thorns. And there's nothing more that the enemy would like to do than if he cannot snatch the seed away, maybe he can cast the seeds of the thorns among the seeds of the gospel and choke you out. Look at the word, the language Jesus uses. As they go on their way, they are choked by the cares of the world. 
None of us want to be choked. That's not flattering or delicate or lovely language. That communicates violence. That communicates a forceful ripping away. It communicates a robbing of life. That is what the world does to us if it would only sink from our heads into our hearts that the world can only offer choking of the gospel in our lives. Maybe we would resist it more diligently. The only promise that the world can make to you is that it will hinder your walk with Christ. How disastrous is it that people love the things of the world more than the things of God. And how much more disastrous is it when professing Christians do the same thing. This is a warning, church. This is a warning to us. Be careful what you're dabbling in in the world be careful how much influence the world has upon you because it wants to choke out the things of God, the Word of God, the Gospel. Three of the four soils here get it wrong. Only one gets it right, and there is hope. We look at the negative real quickly. We've talked about all the negative parts out there, and rightly so, be warned because you could be one of those soils. You could be the path, the rock, or the the infested, uh, thorn-infested soil. You could be that, but there is good news in our evangelism. There is out there good soil. People who are ready and willing to receive the message of Christ. And perhaps there are even people who have lived most of their life with the, the heart that's like the path or the rock or the thorns, and now they're good soil. Maybe they've been plowed enough. They've been cultivated enough. God has worked on them enough that their hearts are actually now very, very fertile for the gospel seed. And church, that is what we bank on. That's why we cast the seed so liberally, so widely, so fervently, so abundantly, because just maybe it will land in good soil. Certainly there's good soil if 47% of unchurched people are willing to talk about the gospel and 31% are willing to listen and 51% are willing to come to church. Surely God's got some good soil out there. After all, by God's grace, He made our hearts good soil. So there is good news in this parable. But what is the characteristics of such soil? Jesus says in verse 15, they are those who hearing the word, again you have to hear, they hold it fast. In an honest and a good heart. In a heart that confesses sin and sincerely desires Jesus. A heart that's not perfect, but a heart that is surrendering to the Lord. A heart that's coming to Christ. A heart that's holding fast to Christ in faith. Even if I have to deny myself all the luxuries of the world, I must hold to Jesus. 
But that's not it. Jesus goes on and we're moving rather quickly this morning. He says it's also the heart that bears fruit with patience. There is this element of perseverance and there is this element of maturity as a characteristic of a heart that's received and had the gospel take root. If you have remained a so-called baby Christian for all your life, you are in trouble. And your assurance of salvation is examined. Because the heart that is good soil, that has the gospel take root in it, is a heart that bears fruit with patience. Notice the patience part. It's not immediate fruit. But it is consistently growing in the faith. Maturing. And it is persevering to the end. That's perseverance of the saints. A very common Baptist belief. Has God proven Himself to be working in your heart over the years? Not just that you've become a better person. Or maybe that you're more convinced about your morals. Or that you've just grown up naturally and matured like a normal human being. But has God been working holiness in you? And righteousness? And sanctification? Have you been showing the love of Christ? Do you, in any fashion, reflect Jesus more so today than last year? Has God progressively worked within you? Has He persevered you? This is the mark of a heart that's had the gospel take it over. This is the good-soiled heart that has been changed by Jesus. This, these are the people in verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm following Jesus because my heart's been captivated by Him. May not do it perfectly, but I'll strive to do it fervently. This is the nature of evangelism. Stick with me just for a few minutes more because this is so important, I think, and I hope you're seeing it because this is one of our hearts. This is how people respond, and yet we are not to be focused on the negative. We are never to say, Well, I'm not going to evangelize because so many hearts are that way, and there's only a few hearts that are good soil. Now, Jesus enters into the final part of this conversation here. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Let us not divorce it from the rest of the passage like maybe our translations do. Jesus says immediately after this, he connects the two from in verse 18 saying, Take care then how you hear all four of these people have heard and only one of them has heard correctly. And the one who has heard cor correctly, Jesus has an, an exhortation in verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Don't hide the news that's been given to you. That Good news, those secret mystery things of the kingdom of God, which by the way really isn't a secret, the gospel, it's a light to the world and you are not to let it hide or be quenched in your life. Just as the farmer in the parable, you cast the seed abundantly. Verse 17, he tells us, take heart for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light you know so quickly if you've evangelized any in your life that as you go about evangel evangelizing most people's hearts are revealed whether they're the path the rocky soil the thorn infested soil or good soil their hearts may not be readily evident to us maybe not even to them but it will be made known as the gospel encounters them so take care verse 18 take care then how you hear 
For to the one who has, more will be given. What do we have? We have the Gospel, and we have Christ, and we have knowledge of God, and to the one who has that, more and more of it will be given. I hope as a believer you have noticed that God in His goodness and loving kindness continues to lavish Himself upon me. But take warning from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. For those other three hearts who think they've heard the gospel and believed, even what they think they believe will be taken away from them. How frightful is Matthew chapter 7. Many will stand before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name and cast so many demons in your name and speak in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. You never knew me. Depart. How many people are one of the three soils who really doesn't have the gospel taking root and they think they're Christians, they think they believe, they have an emotional response to God and yet their false faith will be even taken away from them. Even what he thinks he has, he will have taken away. Let us be warned. We must plow and plant. And like Corinthians says, trust God for the growth. I want to close by reading to you one last quote from J.C. Ryle. He says, Let us leave the parable with a deep sense of the danger and responsibility of all hearers of the Gospel. There are only four ways in which we may hear. And of these four, only one is right. There are three kinds of hearers whose souls are in imminent peril. How many of these three kinds are to be found in every congregation? There is only one class of hearers which is right in the sight of God. What are we? Do we belong to that one? Finally, let us leave the parable with the solemn recollection of the duty of every faithful preacher to divide his congregation and to give each class his portion The clergyman who ascends his pulpit every Sunday and addresses his congregation as if he thought everyone was going to heaven is surely not doing his duty to God or man. His preaching is flatly contradictory to the parable of the sower. And I could not agree with Ryle Moore. Not everyone who hears at Trinity Baptist Church every Sunday knows the Gospel and has had the seed of the Gospel set deeply upon their hearts and give them genuine salvation. We know that to be true. So there's no sense in hiding that if you are convicted that's you. Instead, the church would rather celebrate your salvation in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you were baptized here, if you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle before. None of that matters. Only right response to the gospel and faith in Christ saves you. And we would love nothing more than to celebrate with you today. Remember, three of these hearts, these soils are in imminent peril. And only one is right in the sight of God. May we pause and may we take time, even though we've gone long, and say, who cares about the time? May today we stop and say, God, which soil am I? Reveal your spirit to me, the truth of salvation to me. And if we are saved, let us evangelize like this 
parable tells us to with, with a broad sweeping scattering of the gospel seed. And if we're not saved, let us take warning of these kinds of hearts and let us come today to the Savior. That's the beauty of God. It doesn't matter if you've lived 30, 40, 50 years as the path of the rock or the thorn infested soil. You can in an instant by the grace of God become good soil for the gospel and be saved. I pray that we will and I pray this spurs us to evangelism. There are so many people who have heard just like these other soils and think they've got it right. They need the gospel to change their hearts. Today, let us celebrate if God has placed His gospel deeply within our hearts and we have been saved by His grace. And if not, let us ask in repentance and faith and come to Jesus today. Oh Lord, so much could be said about this parable that You shared so many years and centuries ago. And yet those words that came out of Your mouth to this crowd and then to Your disciples are so relevant for us today, God, just like the rest of Your Word. I find it no, no coincidence or no mere chance, God, that we would encounter this passage so soon after coming back from Denver. Starting in the Gospel of Luke over a year and a half ago and we come to this passage of the nature of evangelism and the right response to the Gospel right as we are getting a fire within us to evangelize and reach the world. That's on purpose. Oh Lord, this, this text forces us, You force us, to pause and, and reflect. To work out our salvation. To make sure we're trusting in You. To examine to see if we belong to the faith as Paul has said. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Oh God, anybody who cares about belonging to You would readily examine if there be any here today, Lord, who have discovered maybe for the first time my heart is not the right soiled heart. May they come today in faith to find salvation in You. And may they know from our voices and our lives that You are so readily available to give salvation to any who come. I pray how the distractions of these hearts, these three hearts, would not prevent us from hearing though it's spoken and seen, though it's expressed right in front of us. I pray that You would make us good soil, that the Gospel would take root in our lives. We would trust You for salvation and Lord, we would evangelize the world with this message given to us of the Kingdom of God. Thank You for this text. Thank You for speaking to our hearts and moving among us. Lord, bring us in line with Your Scriptures. What love You have shown us and the salvation we possess. We thank You for that grace poured out on us richly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.